You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Genesis 2 verse 15 to 18. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat, you will surely die. Then the Lord God said, It's not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Fantastic. Thank you so much. It's been so great having the kids do the Bible readings throughout January and, and really serving in lots of different ways. I don't know if you've noticed, but we've had kids on welcome, uh, helping with logistics and setup and even sound. So just really a big thank you to the kids and we hope you've enjoyed it because we want you to know that you're part of our church together. All right, well today we're thinking about, yeah, let's give the kids a hand. Let's give it a hand. Today we're thinking about work. Some of you are probably going back tomorrow. Maybe you've already been back a couple of weeks. How are you feeling about it? Are you feeling pumped, excited to get back to work January the 5th or whatever it was? Or are you a little bit more like George from Seinfeld? <laughs> it's not just work, of course. I always feel sorry for the school kids when the ads start coming out from office works, back to school, and it's like the start of January. I mean, give the kids a break. I <laughs> feel uh, shocking for them. By the way, buckle up because you've got a big year ahead of you. If you work nine to five in an office, you'll do that for 40 years. You'll work about 80,000 hours. Uh, if you're a student going to school, you've got about 1,300 hours of classes this year. If you're an art student at uni, it's easier. Um, <laughs> I can say this from personal experience. I was an art student and I remember in one year I had 60 days of classes. That's 305 days off and I was full time. Uh, So it's a pretty good deal. But uh, either way, uh, even when I was hardly doing anything, I was still a student. That was my vocation. That's what I was doing and now I work. A vocation is a job or a profession or something that you devote your time and your energy to, whatever it might be, and it really dominates our lives if we're honest about it. It governs our schedules, it affects our emotions, it helps define who we are. Stephen Feynman, uh, a university professor and writer, says, work, paid or unpaid, voluntary or obligatory, is woven into the fabric of all human societies to become part of our identities and key to life's narrative. So, so how do we do it well? We've all got to do something, work, study, whatever it is. It's our vocation. How do we do it well? How do we do it in a way in which we can flourish? That's, of course, been the theme of our talks this uh, January. We've been thinking about how we can flourish in the various domains of life, physical, spiritual, relational, and today we're thinking about vocational. How do we flourish in our work? How do we do something that we're passionate about and honours God and gives us joy? That's what we're thinking through. And I want to suggest for you today a couple of ways that we can do that. It's really based on the story of work through time and through history. And the first thing I want us to do to to help us flourish in our work and our study is to celebrate the gift of work. To celebrate. 
You see, that's, we can celebrate work because of where it comes from. And the first thing to notice is that God works. The very first words of the Bible, Genesis 1 verse 1, says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. So right at the top, the Bible is telling us that God is a worker. God works. The thing that he did was to create the heavens and the earth. And that means that work in and of itself is a worthy and valuable thing. God only does stuff that's good and valuable and worthwhile and purposeful. God works, so work itself must be a good thing. Timothy Keller, who I'm going to quote a lot in the next 15 minutes, he's written a fantastic book called Every Good Endeavour, all about work. You should read it if you can. He says this, Work was not a necessary evil that came into the picture later or something human beings were created to do, but that was beneath the great God himself. No, God worked for the sheer joy of it, and so work could not have a more exalted inauguration. God works. So work is good. And the second thing to note is that God made us to work. Uh, The Bible says that we are made in the image and likeness of God. And that means that we were made to be like him, to live like him, and, and to do the kinds of things that he does. And that's why we work. We were made to work. We see this in the Garden of Eden, right at the very start. Genesis 2 in our reading. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And then he creates the woman to come alongside him. There's so much to do that we need more people to do this work. So that means that work is what we were created to do. Keller says, work is as much a basic human need as food, beauty, rest, friendship, prayer. According to the Bible, we don't merely need the money from work to survive. We need the work itself to survive and live fully human lives. Uh, work is something that helps us be human because we were created to work. I read a great story about a guy called Kevin Halstead. Uh, he'd been driving a bus in England for 17 years. And then one day he lucked in and won the lottery. Won two and a half million pounds. Uh, it's a lot of money. He didn't have to work another day in his life. But he chose to go back to work. And then the journalists were obviously, why on earth are you doing this? And he said, I, I don't want this wind to get in the way of my career. Like he was passionate about driving his bus. Now that might seem strange to us. Why wouldn't you just pack it all in? But no, he recognises that work is something that he loves and that he enjoys. He recognises that he was made to work. And you might even see this even more so when you can't work. Perhaps you're here and you're too unwell to work or you've got an injury, a long-term injury, or you're unemployed. Uh, You know how how much you wish you could work. It has a profound impact on you when you can't work. Uh, At the moment, 5.2 of the Australian workforce is unemployed. That's 716,000 Australians. And unemployment has a devastating impact on people. In fact, one study suggested that it's as as bad as having 10 packets of cigarettes a day. That's the health impact of unemployment. Long-term unemployment is that bad. And if you've been unemployed, you, you might know something of this. You felt the stress and the anxiety of it. Not just because you're worrying about where would the next pay packet come from, but there's something actually even deeper than that. There's something within you that senses that you're supposed to work, that you feel underused when you can't work. It's a very difficult thing. It's because you were made to work. And the third thing we see is that God made us to work with him. God works. God made us to work. And God made us to work with 
him. Uh, We were made in his image so that we could work alongside him. We go to work with our dad, with our heavenly father. That's the whole idea. And what exactly is that work that God has given us? Well, here's a definition. It's working with God to help creation flourish. In a nutshell, that's what work is supposed to be. Working with God to help creation flourish. You get a picture of that in Genesis 1, uh, verse 28. God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. That's God's picture. Now, at first, we might balk at that. It's got those words subdue and dominion. And it might be implying, perhaps, that we just kind of destroy the earth, that that's what we're called to do or allowed to do. But that's actually the reverse of what God wants for us. We are given mastery and, and rule over the world to make it flourish, to help it. You see that the language there, there's every plant yielding seed is kind of offered to us and our job is to try and grab that and to do something useful and good with that. That's the idea. God has placed the creation, there is potential in everything in the world around us and our job is to bring that potential out. Keller says this, God left creation with deep untapped potential for cultivation that people were to unlock through their labour. That's our job. That's what work is, to bring the potential out of all of creation so that all of creation flourishes. Now, sometimes this is kind of obvious. Uh, We see a a, a tree and we cut it down, use that wood to create a house. That's an obvious use. We've seen the potential in the tree and we've given it something to flourish in, right? That's that's a great thing for us to do. Other times, it's a little bit more subtle. Perhaps we observe the laws of physics and we realise how we can combine all of these things to make a machine or to do an invention, All of those things, we're seeing the potential that's in creation and then we're bringing that out. As Sir Keller says, the pattern for work is rearranging the raw material of God's creation in such a way that it helps the world in general and people in particular to thrive and flourish. God has placed potential in all of the things around you and your job, your work, is to bring that out to do something productive and good with the world that he's given you. And the wonderful thing is that as we do this, we flourish as well. When we help creation flourish, we ourselves flourish. You see, as we bring out the potential in the world, God brings out the potential in us. We do things and we see how he has wired us, what he has gifted us with, what he has equipped and prepared us to do. It could be anything. Perhaps you look at a spreadsheet and you just see a picture. You you get it. You look at a machine and you can just sense how it works. That is not me in any sense. Uh, Perhaps you you see a a horde of five-year-olds and you think, oh, yeah, I'll walk into that and I'll teach them rather than everyone else who just wants to run away. (laughs) God gives us skills and abilities. He places them inside us and then he calls us to use those things. I've been reading through the book of Exodus 
start of the year. Everyone's reading Genesis and Exodus at this point. And, and I've been reading through the, the descriptions it gives for how the tabernacle was supposed to be built. Uh, as Michael Koshevsky said at the Young Adults Camp last week, it's a bit of the interior design section of the Bible. It's, it's a little bit hard to work through. But there's some really beautiful stuff in there. And so when you get to Exodus 36, verse 1, we read this. Bezalel and Ahiliab and every craftsman in whom the Lord has put skill and intelligence to know how to do any work in the construction of the sanctuary shall work in accordance with all that the Lord has commanded. Do you see that? God has placed skill inside these people, given them these abilities and these gifts. It's a different kind of thing. You might not be someone who's into textiles or, or whatever, but these people have been given specific skills and now they're invited to do the work that God has prepared them for. What has God prepared you for? What is the gift that he has given you? How can you use those things? How do you come alongside him and do the work that he has prepared for you to do your bit in helping his creation flourish? You will flourish when you help all things flourish. It's a pretty beautiful picture of work then, isn't it? I hope you can see the grandeur of it, the the exciting nature of work. God works. God made us to work. And God made us to work with him. So we can celebrate work itself. It's a gift. And yet, if we're honest... Work is not always like that. Sometimes work is rubbish. It's horrible. Uh, There's this guy here, I don't know if you see today, Jeremiah, but he he was telling me how he used to work as a ball boy at a golf driving range. So his job was to walk out across the field in just a plastic helmet and a a little uh, thing protector here as people are just hacking away. And, you know, look, if I was there, I would have been aiming for him. Um... (laughs) So I'm sure other people did. Thankfully, no one's any good at golf, so they probably didn't hit him. But it's not a good job, right? That is a hard job. Or uh, do you know how you'll come home some days and you'll find some junk mail in the, in the mail box, right? Someone puts it there. I was that person for one week because it is the worst job. I quit after a week. I just hated it. And it was almost as bad as the other probably worst job I had, and that was uh, to be a pizza boy, um, that is just a terrible job. I was about 18, 19, and just got my licence. So the idea of driving around for three or four hours at night was actually exciting at that point in time. Anyway, I didn't realise, though, just what a rip-off it was because you would get paid maybe $3 per delivery, not per pizza, per delivery. And so after an hour, you might, if you were lucky, make $10, but then you also had to pay for petrol. So I just made no money out of this whole thing. And I was working in Werribee. I live in Werribee now, and... Uh, I don't know if it's like this to the rest of the western suburbs, but in Werribee, every house that orders pizza has a Rottweiler called Caesar. <laughs> and you would get to the door and Caesar would be like, blah, 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 just desperate to kill you. The, the one thing between you and death was this little flywire screen. Um, it was not a good job. It was a dangerous job. And, and sometimes work can be like this. It's dangerous, it's frustrating, it's dull, it's boring, you're underappreciated. Study can be difficult as well. Sometimes it just feels overwhelming, it's too hard. So often it feels like we don't flourish in our work, it actually destroys us, we wilt. So how can this happen? If 
work is supposed to be a gift, a good thing, why, why is it so bad so often? How do we overcome this? Well, the first thing I think we need to realise is we need to recognise the curse on work. It's a curse that enters the world in Genesis 3. You see, Adam and Eve, at the start of Genesis, they're, they're faithful, happy servants of God. They're working alongside God and they're enjoying their work. But then in Genesis 3, we're told that the devil comes to them and suggests that they should do something else, some other kind of work, that God's holding them back, that they need to strike out on their own, stop doing the family business and start their own thing. Don't actually create their own world and not just manage the world that God has given them. And so they try this. But as soon as they do so, they discover that the world is cursed. There is a curse that comes onto the world, and their work is cursed as well. I want to suggest today there's a number of ways in which curse, the sin, sin has brought a curse on our work. The first thing is that sin makes new work and more work. Uh, Adam and Eve... As soon as they disobey God, they feel this shame. Genesis 3 verse 7. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. This is new work. They didn't need to sew clothes before the fall. But suddenly they've sinned. Now they feel shame and so they need to do this new work. And there's lots of things like this throughout our world. There was no need for doctors before the fall because there was no sickness. There was no need for firefighters because there was no natural disasters. There was no need for judges or the police because there was no sin. Now, all of those professions are good and noble professions, but they're not actually supposed to be here. They weren't here before the fall. They're only here because of sin. Sin brings new work. The second thing is that sin makes all work hard. Uh, God comes to Adam and Eve after they've fallen and he confronts them with the consequences of their actions. He says in Genesis 3.17 to Adam, Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. He's saying work now is going to be hard. You know, the word, we, we often describe work as labour. It's from a Latin word, which really means extreme effort associated with pain. Right? That's where, how we describe work now. Extreme effort associated with pain. Work is now hard. And why? Because now creation is working against us. The, the, the vision that God had for work was that we would work in and with creation and help creation flourish and be all that it could be. But because of sin and the curse, now creation is working against us. Uh, Sebastian Traeger writes, When they disobeyed God's command and rebelled against him, work stopped being purely a reaping of God's abundance. Where once the earth had eagerly produced its fruit, almost holding it out of eager hands and begging Adam and Eve to take it, Now the earth became stingy, it withheld its riches and the humans were forced to labour hard and painfully to get them. This is why the photocopier hates you. (laughs) This is why your kids poo just before you leave the house. This is why farmers are always either struggling against drought or flood or fire. 
the fall makes more work and makes all work harder. And you know what? No matter how hard you work, your work is never finished. It takes a year to paint the Sydney Harbour Bridge. And when they're finished, they start again. And that's a picture of what work is like. There's probably a project that you're working on right now. Or if you're a student, there's an exam that you're preparing for soon or an essay that you've got to write. And it's, it's dominating your thinking. It's, it's, what you're, it's on your mind all the time. And, and the one thing that keeps you going is the thought that once I finish this, everything else will be cleared out. It'll be sweet. And my whole world will be opened up. But what happens? As soon as you hand it in, as soon as you finish that thing, there's something else to replace it. Another project that's just as important, that's just as urgent. Another essay to write that's just as difficult. Another exam to study for. It's never finished. Work is never finished. You stack the shelves at Coles, they get empty two days later. You get to inbox zero. So you reward yourself by going to the canteen room and, and getting a Monte Carlo. You come back and there's three new emails. Work is never finished. That's because creation is working against you. And one day, creation will win. You see, we like to tell ourselves that we'll get on top of it, I'll get on top of my work. But the reality is that work will get on top of you. Genesis 3.19, By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust... And to dust you shall return. Do you see that? God placed us in the world to to work the land that he had made. And our job is to do something with this. We think we'll get on top of it. We'll master this. But actually we're going to end up in that ground. The dirt will cover us. The work wins. What's going on here? You see, I actually think that the deeper problem is that we're working for ourselves now and not for God. You see, the curse that has come on the world doesn't just happen to the creation around us. It's happened to our hearts. That's why there's sin in the workplace. That's why there's office politics and gossip. That's why when you're working in a team, you, you either dominate and domineer everyone else or you slack off and let someone else do all of the work. That's why we do the wrong thing and we don't work hard enough or we work too hard. You know, most professionals in Australia work between 50 and 80 hours a week. What are they doing this for? What, what are they driving for? And yet they, they have this kind of intensity about it, constantly doing this work. But for what? You know, you, you get a new project and it's an A1 priority, you're going to work as hard as you can, but it's forgotten two days after you've finished it. Um, you work for years, decades, for a school, for a cause, for a company, but after you retire, you leave no legacy. They find someone else within a month. And even when you do get the rewards that you're striving for, maybe you're looking for more money or you're looking for more power or status or prestige, even when you get that, what do you have to give to make that happen? What do you lose in the process? You, know, you lose your rest, your weekends, your time off. You, you sacrifice your family. Or perhaps you sacrifice your values. You do the things that you know are wrong. I remember someone saying it. uh, The trouble with the rat race is that even if you win it, you're still a rat. No one sits on their bed, their deathbed, at the end of their life, 
and thinks, oh, if only I'd been in more of those three-hour meetings. If only I'd had more chances to look at PowerPoint presentations and write incident reports. Like, what are we doing? Why do we pour ourselves out for these things that are ultimately frustrating? I think it's because we're working for ourselves. We were supposed to work for God, but we're working for ourselves now. Working for money because we're greedy. Working for prestige and significance because we think we have to build our own world. At the heart of it all, there is this desire to create our own thing rather than to work with the thing that God gave us. And the problem is that as we do this, work becomes a curse to us. It wrecks us. We were supposed to flourish, but now we're wilting. We were supposed to help creation flourish, to bring out the potential, but instead we destroy creation. Or we destroy the people that God has placed in the world around us. We're letting this happen to us. David Platt writes, Work that was designed to be fulfilling is frustrating. Work that was designed to be purposeful feels pointless. And work that was designed to be selfish, selfless has become selfish. So what do we do? How do we get out of that trap? How do we fix this? Well, we can't actually fix it at all. You see, we try to fix it. You know, for instance, when there's corruption and people are getting hurt in the workplace, what do we do? We try to control that. We get work cover. Uh, we have human resources departments. But actually what tends to happen is those things don't fix the problem at all. No one wants work cover to come. I mean, even the ads talk about how much we dread work cover coming. And think about that name, human resources. What's the goal of a HR department? It's to make every person feel valuable and important. And yet what's the name of the department? Human resources. You're just a resource. Now, I haven't got anything against HR people. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is the name implies you're just a resource. You're just a thing. And God wants you to be a human. God wants you to be valued. So how do we fix this? Even when, when we try to fix it, we do it wrong. So what do we do? Well, here's what I reckon. We need to rest in the work of Christ. You see, Jesus, the one who created the world stepped into the world, he went to work in this world to save us, to rescue us, to change work. His work has two components. The first thing is he did what we failed to do. He perfectly obeyed God and worked for God all of his life. We were supposed to do that, but we end up working for ourselves and to build our own world. Jesus did it perfectly. He constantly followed God. And now God has said to us that he will count what Jesus has done and put that onto our account. He'll look at us and say, oh, I'm going to treat you as if you had done what Jesus had done. So Jesus did what we failed to do. And then the second thing is that Jesus made up for what we did do. See, what we did was sin. When we've rebelled against God, when we've tried to build our own thing, our own world, we've dishonored God. That's sin. And that has consequences. Justice demands a response. God must respond to that. Jesus must respond to that because Jesus is God. He must respond 
and demand justice. But the wonderful thing is that Jesus takes that justice and satisfies it himself. We deserve the punishment, but Jesus takes it for us. He gave his life for us. And do you know what he said? Do you remember what he said on the cross just as he's dying? His last words? It is finished. Job done. Tick. See, we strive all of our life. We do all of this work, but it's never finished. But for Jesus it was. He had done everything that needed to be done. And so we can rest in his work. Now, this can be surprisingly hard to do. The first, first of all, it's hard to admit that we need him. We want to believe that we're good people. But the story of work points to the fact that we're not. But too often we hurt other people. Or we hurt the world that God has created. We don't bring out the potential in all things. We just serve ourselves. We build our own world and not serve in God's world. We have to acknowledge that. We have to confess that. Bring that to God and confess that to him. And then we need to rest and accept what he has done. You see, as soon as you realize that uh, you've sinned, the first reaction normally is to say, oh, well, I've just got to improve. I've just got to be better. I've just got to work harder. And that's how it works in the rest of our world, right? If you want to get ahead in your workplace, you've got to work hard. If you want to reach the top, if you want to be accepted by the boss, then you've got to prove yourself. And so we assume that that's how it works with God as well. But that's not how it works. So you can try, you can strive, but you'll never reach the standards that God expects. But the glorious thing is that Jesus did, and he did it for you. You can't reach those standards, but he has. You can't ever do enough, but Jesus has done more than enough for you. And so now you can rest in the work of Christ. You can trust what he has done for you. And then the fourth thing happens. You go back to work with Christ. Now, how does that work? I've just said rest, and then I'm saying go back to work. (laughs) What I'm saying is that if you truly accept and rest in what Christ has done, then it frees you to return to work in a new way. See, there's a curse on work, but work itself is not a curse. It's still what God has created for us to enjoy. And so now we can do this in a new way, in a redeemed way, and restored way. We start to work for him rather than for ourselves, and we find a new joy and pleasure in it. I want to suggest we have three kinds of things. You can go back to work, and you can work free. Uh, Keller talks about how uh, so much of our work, there is a work under the work. So we work too hard because we're looking for significance. Or we work, uh, we're greedy and we just want more money. That's the work under the work. That's why we're doing all of these things. But because of what Jesus has done, we can find rest. When we're working for ourselves, we're trying to earn our place in the world. We're, we're trying to strive and do everything for ourselves. And this just makes us fretful and restless and anxious. We can't rest. There's always more to achieve, more to prove, more to compete against. But Jesus frees us from that. The gospel says we have significance, not because of our work, but because of his work. We have the approval of our maker. And so we don't have to fret too much about the approval from our manager. 
We have fulfillment in God and so we can find more joy. We don't need as much money. We're safe in God's hands. We don't have to be over-anxious about our study because we know that the sovereign God is in control. He'll work it out. God will be with you. Keller says you're adopted into God's family, so you already have your affirmation. You're justified in God's sight, so you have nothing to prove. You're loved ceaselessly, so you can work tirelessly in response to a quiet inner fullness. Do you notice what he says, work tirelessly? Because here's the second thing. We work free and then we work hard because now we're working for God. Colossians 3, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Uh, Jesus is now your boss. And so you work hard for him because that's how he works. Uh, in every company, you've probably seen this in every team, the boss sets the tone, sets the atmosphere, the standard of work. And so it is with Jesus, with our boss. And so Jesus works hard, and so we work hard. But more than that, Jesus works with real pride and joy and care. Think about how God created the world. Genesis 1, what do we read? He creates something, it was good, it was good. It was good. until you get to the end of the passage and it says it was very good. All of God's work was good and very good. That's how God works. And so that's how we work. In fact, that's how Jesus worked through his life. Uh, Dorothy Sayers talks about how Jesus, the one who created the heavens and the earth, then stepped into the world. And what did he do? He worked as a carpenter. And so she writes, no crooked table legs or ill-fitting drawers ever came out of the carpenter's shop at Nazareth. Nor, if they did, could anyone believe that they were made by the same hand that made heaven and earth. You just imagine watching Jesus work on this earth. The God who created the heavens and the earth, the, the God of Psalm 139 who, who handcrafted you. You are knit together beautifully and perfectly by God. He personally created each and every one of you because he loves to make and work. Imagine him making a table. He would have given it the same level of care and love. He worked hard and so we work hard. And so say it says the only Christian work is good work, well done. So take pride in your work. And I say that, take pride in your work, whatever you're doing. Because here's the other thing. There's this common misconception that the only Christian work is if you're working for a church or a mission agency or something like that. That's Christian work and the rest is secular work. That's not the case. If we're all working for God, then anything that we're doing, as long as it's within God's realm of, of virtue and ethics, then it's a good thing. We're working for Jesus. And so whatever we're doing, we can do well. We can take pride in our work because it's a valuable thing that we're doing. It doesn't matter who we're working for. Uh, sorry, uh, Robert Graves said, who you work for is more significant than what you do or where you work. And I want to say that as an encouragement to anyone here who's not, it doesn't feel like they've got the perfect job, right? Or Maybe you feel a bit discontent or restless within your work and you wonder how you can honour God in this thing. Well, you can honour God by working hard, whatever it is. See, I think there's also this idea in the rest of the world, in the world around us, there's this idea that uh, you've got to almost worship your work. 
You've got to find your fulfilment, find yourself in your job. And so you have something like uh, Steve Jobs. You might remember this famous speech he did at Stanford University, uh, 2005. It was, it was all over YouTube. Did we have YouTube in 2005? Anyway, since retro YouTube, you can find it. He says this, you've got to find what you love. This is a true for your work as it is for your lovers. Your work is going to fill a large part of your life and the only way to be truly satisfied is to do what you believe is great work. And the only way to do great work is to love what you do. If you haven't found it yet, keep looking, don't settle. As with all matters of the heart, you'll know when you find it and like any great relationship, it just gets better and better as the years roll on. So keep looking until you find it, don't settle. I mean, do you you see the intensity of that? He's likening your work to a relationship. He's putting all of this investment in your work. He's idolizing it, really. And yet it doesn't work out. One third of Australians will change jobs in the next 12 months. Uh, Australians may change careers seven times. By the age of 42, you've probably had about 10 different jobs. What's happening? People are trying desperately to find the fulfillment that Steve Jobs is talking about, right? Seek.com, seek and you will find. If you keep looking for this perfect job, you'll find yourself. you find everything that you're looking for. But as Christians, we recognize that there are limitations on work. We recognize that all work is difficult and hard and you can find another job, but it'll be just as hard. We recognize that we can't worship work, but we can worship God. So if you're working for yourself, you'll never be happy. You'll always have to look for the next job, the better job. But if you're working for God, no matter what you're doing, you can find joy. You can find fulfillment because you're working for Jesus. And secondly, lastly, you're doing the best kind of work. You can work happy because you're part of the greatest and most important work of all, and that is showing God to the world. You see, Jesus has begun this new work. When he came to earth, he said that he was bringing God's kingdom, that he was stretching the rule of God over all all places. And this rule begins with a city, a city on a hill, his people. We are a community where his rule is accepted and his blessing is experienced. And so we are the starting point of God's great new work in the world. And he invites us now to build this city to show the world his goodness, wherever we are, whatever we're doing, to help all things flourish. He wants us to bring out the potential in all things. He wants a city where this is happening, and we are that city. And so the student points to the wonder of God as they study the complexity of physics or biology, sees the sovereign hand of God as they study history, See that he's always been in control, raising up leaders and bringing them down. The tradie echoes the work of Christ, the great carpenter. The doctor points to the great healer, working with him to combat the effects of sin's curse in the world. The lawyer represents the God of compassion as they fight for justice. The stay-at-home parent extends the tender love of God to his children. And this is why we need Christians in every field of work, to show God to every part of this world, to show his character. And if you can embrace this, then you'll find the most fulfilling work that there is. 
You find work that's stretching and fulfilling, that helps you identify your talents and use them. You'll do work that matters, that's long-lasting, that actually echoes into eternity, has an impact on other people's lives. And you'll be working for a great boss who did everything for you, who did his work so that you can rest in him and who is applauding you. In fact, when you get to heaven, you'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. And so this year, as you go back to work, recognise the gift of work. Maybe every Monday, you just devote some time as you're driving into work, catching the train, walking to the station. Take some time to pray. Thank God for the gift of work. Maybe you can write something down and stick it up on your desk. So in those cold months in July, when you've got a cold and you don't want to be there, look at that. Remind yourself. Recognise the gift of work. But then also recognise the curse on work. Don't get angry when things go wrong. It's supposed to be like this. Recognise that creation is working against you. And also, because of that, you can recognise the limitations of work. You can take a holiday, you can take a day off, because the work is always going to be there. It's never finished. You're never going to get on top of it. So take the space to rest and recreate. And also, don't let yourself be sucked into the vortex of anyone who worships work, compromising their values, compromising their families. It's not worth it. You can rest in the work of Christ. Acknowledge the ways that he has served you. Let him serve you. Rest in that. And then go back to work with him. Doing the things that he invites you to do. Using your gifts and your talents. Not to build your own world. Not to serve yourself. But to serve him. And to bring out the potential in all of creation. Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you for the gift of work. There's lots, in our, lots of people in our culture who would resist work and feel like it gets in the way of everything else. But you've told us that you work. So work is a, a valuable and an honourable and a good thing. So we thank you for it. But we also want to recognise that we work badly. We work for ourselves, which means we either work too little or we work too much. We compromise our values and dishonour you. Instead of bringing out the potential in creation, we often destroy it and destroy ourselves and others in the process. We confess this to you and we want to rest in the work of Christ. Thank you, Jesus, that you've made up for what we have done, that you did what we failed to do. So we rest in you. Lord, we want to go back to work with you, with new hearts and new attitudes. We want to work free free from the work, under the work. We want to work hard, just like you do, and to take pride and joy in our work. And we want to enjoy the work that we get to do because it's your work, a work that will last and echo into eternity. Help us to build your city, a city that other people see and praise our Father in heaven. See your goodness and respond to it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, 
please visit cityonahill.com.au.